Hello there, and welcome to the 50th episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Alright, so on this week's episode, unfortunately, I gotta talk about the recent IL move that the Blue Jays made. Then I'm gonna get into Nate Pearson's disappointing season debut. We're also gonna talk about Randall Grichik and how he's been dominating at the plate this season. And then I'm also gonna get into Marcus Simeon and his recent turnaround and why it's somewhat significant as to what he's been doing at the plate lately. And then I'm also gonna preview the Blue Jays upcoming series against the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. So let's get into it. All right, so let's start with the bad news first. And this has just been a running theme for this team so far this season because they've placed more players on the injured list than any other team in baseball. And it got worse on Sunday because they were forced to place Rafael Dolis on the 10-day IL due to a right calf strain. This move wasn't unexpected after he was forced to leave the game uh, Friday, I believe, after he was warming up. And the, the Blue Jays said they were hopeful that he wasn't going to have to miss any time. That was kind of smoke and mirrors because we all knew with him being unavailable Saturday, that likely meant he was going to go to the IL as the corresponding move to bring Nate Pearson up to the big leagues. And that's exactly what happened. But this is another major blow to the Blue Jays back end of their bullpen because now you have Dolis on the IL. You have Merriweather, who's going to be out for significant time. You already didn't start the season with Kirby Yates, who's having Tommy John surgery. And Jordan Romano's been up and down. He's still working through some things on the mound. But basically, your high leverage option, especially with, with David Phelps on the IL as well, you're down to Romano and Tim Meza, essentially, as high leverage options. It's not good. Those are still reliable guys, but considering how many reliable options the Blue Jays had two weeks ago, let's say, it's night and day difference as to what they have now to work with. So that's something to monitor as we go along. There's the potential of getting Anthony Castro back some point this week because he's going to be eligible to come off the IL. But from what the Blue Jays are saying, it doesn't seem like he's going to be ready to make his return just yet. May need another week or so to get healed up. But if the Blue Jays could get Anthony Castro back in the very near future, that would be great news for their bullpen because he's been a big help for them and a major surprise because he basically has come out of nowhere as he was a waiver claim off of the Tigers over the offseason. But that's the injury update that I have for this team. And now we have to talk about Nate Pearson. And it's not going to be good. So brace yourselves because Nate Pearson, after making a minor league start 
with the Buffalo Bisons, Trenton Thunder, whatever you want to call them. He was decent. Yeah, he threw 78 pitches, went three and two thirds, had eight strikeouts. And he was he was okay for the for the first start, um, but after he threw in AAA, me myself just thinking out loud, I thought, hey, if he's healthy, even though he only went three and two thirds, he threw 78 pitches. I'm like, the Blue Jays need options in the majors. It'd make a lot of sense for Pearson to make his next start in the major leagues. Now, because he's been working through some mechanical adjustments ever since he started his rehab, trying to be less violent, according to Pearson himself, the Blue Jays ideally, in a perfect world, would have loved to keep him in the minors probably for another three or four starts just to let him make those adjustments in the minors where the results really don't matter. But the Blue Jays needed an arm up here because with Trent Thornton throwing on Friday, there was no way the Blue Jays were going to be able to ask him to throw on Sunday again. So they needed another bulk guy to go along with Anthony Kay because before the Blue Jays recalled Nate Pearson, Anthony Kay was supposed to start on Sunday. And it was ideally probably going to be Kay going three, maybe four innings. And then you throw out Thornton coming out of the bullpen. And he gets you to the sixth or the seventh. And then you work your way through as after that point. But again, because Thornton needed to finish off, or not finish, but needed to throw in Friday's game he was unavailable Sunday which is why they needed Nate Pearson in the big leagues but the problem is Nate Pearson is a bit of a mess right now because again of the mechanics he's trying to work through and the results were not pretty whatsoever during the finale against the Astros because from the beginning of his start up until he left, Nate Pearson could not control the strike zone. One bit. He only went two and a third, allowed four hits, only three runs, but five walks. He threw 64 pitches. 33 of them were balls. So essentially, half of the pitches he threw were located outside the strike zone. That's not a recipe for success. And I got to tip my cap to the Sportsnet camera crew because they got a great shot of what Nate Pearson is kind of struggling with right now. And if you listen to the game on the radio, you didn't really get a good look at this. But if you're watching from home on TV, it was a great shot because they showed one of Pearson's throws to home plate and they showed it in, in slow motion. And what's essentially going on with him is when he's finishing his pitches, he's falling off towards first base. And because of that, his head is turning to the left. So his, his entire upper half is basically tilting towards first base side. 
So when Pearson is throwing the ball out of his hand, when he's just about to release, he's not actually looking at home plate. So he's throwing without knowing where the pitch is gonna go because he can't actually see where he's throwing to. That's a major problem. I'm not a major league pitcher, but I know if you don't look all the way through to home plate, look at your target all the way through, you're not going to have success. And we saw exactly that on Sunday because all of Nate's pitches were going everywhere, particularly his fastball. He couldn't control that if he wanted to, and I'm sure he did want to. His release point was all over the place with his fastball because normally you want all of your pitches to come out of the same arm slot, right? So it's deceiving to the hitter because when you release each pitch, you can't pick up, all right, it's in a different spot. This is what's coming. But for Nate, he couldn't even do that with one pitch. And again, with his fastball, he was releasing it all over the place in different areas. And again, that's a result of the mechanical issues he's having where he's falling off towards first base. But it's again, not being able to see where you're throwing to. And it's really, really difficult to work through something like that at the major league level, which is again, why the Blue Jays probably would have loved to have him stay in the minors probably through the rest of May. But again, due to injuries, underperformances from Tanner Roark and other guys, they needed Nate Pearson in the major leagues, but he didn't help them at all to try and secure that series victory against the Astros. Now, I'm not saying... Nate Pearson is lost or is inching towards be, being considered a bust of a prospect. I'm not saying that at all. It's way too early to jump to any of those conclusions. That said, this is a major, major, major problem because you're caught in between a a rock and a hard spot. At least the Blue Jays are. Because if you send him down now, he probably will lose a lot of confidence in himself. Being like, I just came up to the major leagues. Again, I made my season debut and I was awful. Awful. And a big part of sports, as we all know, is the mental side of things. And yes, it'll probably be worse if he continues to struggle in the major leagues. He'll likely lose even more confidence. But considering the success Pete Walker has had with Stephen Matz, Robbie Ray, and others, why not keep Pearson in the majors for at least one more start? So that he has, you know, a week to work with Pete, who's arguably the best pitching coach in the major leagues. 
I think that's a safe bet, especially because if you send Nate down, right, who are you calling up that can give you multiple innings out of the bullpen? Because Thomas Hatch isn't available. So for right now, I think you have to stick with Nate and hope he shows somewhat success, a little bit of success with his next start. Also, side note, we have a little bit of breaking news here. And it involves Tanner Roark, who has signed a minor league deal with the Atlanta Braves. So, uh, hopefully, Tanner Roark bounces back, fights his way back up to the major leagues, and has somewhat success with the Braves. I don't know how much success he'll have just because of how awful he was with the Blue Jays this season. But, you know, we got to remember too, this is a guy who was away due to some some personal issue before the Blue Jays ultimately DFA'd him and released him. So we have no idea what's going on with Tanner Roark away from baseball. So as much as we're going to um, chirp him and 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 degrade what he was able to do on the field he's still a human being right so whatever's going on with him away from the game wish him all the best and again as well with his future playing career wish him all the best in that area as well but back to Nate Pearson for a little bit to finish this topic here I think if he shows at least a little bit of improvement with his command and his mechanics on the mound next time out, which, you know, it, it'll probably come against the Philadelphia Phillies next weekend. That's, that'll likely be his next time through in the rotation. That's when his spot will come up. Um, if he can show a little bit of progression in those areas, I think maybe the Blue Jays keep him in the major leagues for a third, maybe a fourth start, and then go from there. Because, again, like I said, if you send him down, I know you could pair K with Thornton every, you know, fifth spot in the rotation, every turn. But ideally, you want Nate Pearson to come up and take the reins of that spot. Because before the season started, you slotted him into one of those spots in the rotation and we're expecting him to play a big part for your team this year and I know he's working through some things but if he can help you out at the major league level that's where you want him having all that success now moving on to the Blue Jays offense here after somewhat of a uh, drought at the plate aside from Vladdy Guerrero Jr. the Blue Jays have started hitting again and what's a little ironic is that The Blue Jays offense is starting to produce a a lot more lately. Vladdy's gone through a bit of a slump recently. And uh, it's kind of going unnoticed because of how effective the Blue Jays lineup has been. And particularly, that's involved quality plate appearances from Randall Gritchick and Marcus Simeon. And in particular with Grichik, 
He's basically been doing this all season long. He went through a bit of a low towards the end of April. But ever since the calendar turned to May, he's gotten hot once again on the season now. He's got six home runs, 28 RBIs, a 319 BAP, a 357 Woba, which is a career high for him. He's got a 334 expected Woba, so probably in for a bit of a regression sometime soon, but he's still posting a 129 way to runs create a plus score. He's got a 0.8 Fangraphs war rating, which is already higher than what he produced last year with a 0.6, and he had a 0.5 the season before. So I know Randall Gritchick goes through these stretches where when he's hot, he can really help carry the offense. And when he's cold, he's a major liability because he's striking out almost every single time. But for Gritchick this season, he's really not striking out all that much. Now, he's not getting walks as much as you would hope he would. He's only got a 6.1% walk rate this season, but he also has a career best 17.6% strikeout rate. And that's the first time he's ever had his strikeout rate below 20% in his career. So that's a very encouraging sign for Gritchick because that means he's having better quality at bats where he's not striking out. He's not leaving runners on base because he's coming up in clutch spots and getting set down on three pitches. He's also hitting the ball pretty hard as well. He's got a 46.0% hard hit rate. His average exit velocity is up to 89.6 miles per hour, which is a touch higher than where it was last season. Also, he's made some adjustments to his launch angle where he's increased it up to 17.9 degrees. In comparison, that was down to 12.6 degrees last season. So, as a result of that change, he's hitting more balls in the air. He's got a 45% fly ball rate. In comparison, he had a 36.7% rate the season before. His ground ball rate has gone down from 41.4% in 2020 to just 36% this season. He's also standing in the middle, middle of the field more than he ever has throughout his entire career. Because prior to this season, Gritchick had a career high of a 37.5% uh, center field percentage. So basically, 37 percent of the balls he put in play were staying in the middle of the field. This season, that percentage has climbed all the way up to 48%. So basically, almost half of the balls Gritchick has been putting in play are staying in the middle of the field. Now, he's pulled every single one of his home runs, but his singles, his extra base hits, they're essentially staying in the middle of the field, which is exactly what you want out of somebody like Randall Gritchick because it shows he's letting the ball 
travel a little bit deeper into the strike zone. So where he's giving himself an extra few seconds to see the ball, instead of just thinking a hit before the ball is even released from the pitcher's hand and pulling everything. Because that was a bit of a problem for him earlier in his career where he was just pulling everything like crazy. Like even last season, he had a 45.6% pull percentage and just a 24.9% center field percentage. So this is very, very encouraging from Grichik, especially his latest burst where he's got uh, pretty good hits since the start of May. He's 13 for 43 a couple of home runs, 12 RBIs. He's got a 314 BAP and a 129 weighted runs create a plus score during that stretch. Again, you would like to see him get more walks. But again, he's still hitting the ball hard, staying in the middle of the field, keeping the ball off the ground. So I hope this continues. But some of Grichik's expected numbers probably suggest that this type of production isn't quite sustainable for Grichik over an extended period of time. But here's the thing again, we all know Grichik's history, right? Where he's really hot when he's hot and his lows are extremely low. But if Grichik can kind of change that narrative where his lows aren't actually as bad as they were in previous years where he's still putting the ball in play and he's not just hitting weak contact to the left side of the field where he's keeping the ball in the middle of the field even though he's not hitting like crazy it hopefully won't take him long to break out of those types of slumps because that's baseball right you're not going to stay hot all season long you're going to go up you're going to go down but if he doesn't stay in those lows for you know a month or even longer then he may have a pretty productive season and he's having a really good season again in the field as well defensively again with Springer out he's had to play more center field than probably the Blue Jays were expecting him to coming out of this offseason but he's still been productive he's got a plus one OAA in center field this year he's better suited for right field historically his defensive numbers are much better over on the right side but until Springer returns the Blue Jays are in extremely safe hands with Grichik in center field you also have Jonathan Davis on the major league roster as well so you're not going to have to worry about your defense lacking in center field which is a great improvement for the Blue Jays considering the issues they had years and years ago with Kevin Pillar in center field and yeah sure he makes some heroic catches but his overall defense go look at the numbers they're not great so the Blue Jays wanted to make a major difference with their run prevention over the offseason particularly with the outfield they've definitely done that now Along with Grichik, like I said earlier, Marcus Simeon has been crushing the ball this season. Um, but that's all he's basically been doing. He's been essentially been boomer bust type of hitter up to this point. Now, 
that's not terrible. I mean, at least you're getting some power from him. But the Blue Jays want a quality overall hitter. And that's what Marcus Simeon was in 2019. Where he wasn't just hitting for power. He was hitting for contact. He was getting on base with walks. And prior to the start of May, Simeon wasn't really doing that for the Blue Jays. He was essentially, like I said, boomer bust. Where he's either going deep or he's striking out. Or he's hitting a weak ground ball. Um, because overall this season, Marcus Simeon has a 24.8% strikeout rate. Which is significantly higher than what he had in 2019. Where he posted just a 13.7% strikeout rate. Now he's still been getting on base with walks. Got a 9.7% walk rate. A couple percent down from where he was in 2019. But if you want to look at his on-base numbers, having a 300 expected WOBA, a 331 on-base percentage, just a 229 BAP for the season, you know, that's not a guy you can rely on in the top half of your lineup. Which is... Okay, I mean, Simeon, probably, when the Blue Jays lineup is fully healthy, is best suited for that 6-7 spot. But, you're hoping you get some shades, if not more than that, of the MVP caliber player that he was in 2019. And recently... That's who Marcus Simeon has been performing like. And whether or not it was the return to Oakland or whatnot, something has sparked him. Because since May 1st, Simeon has really taken off. Over his last 38 plate appearances, he's got 14 hits, 4 doubles, Three home runs, nine RBIs. He's got a 371 ISO, a 478 BAP, a 400 average, a 447 on base, a 771 slugging, a 513 Woba, and a 235 weighted runs create a plus score. Um, he does have three walks to nine strikeouts, so that's, you know, a, a, a little troubling. But considering the other numbers he's posted and the fact that he's been hitting the ball pretty hard, he's got a 92.6 average exit velocity and a 42.3% hard hit rate, hitting the ball in the air with consistency. It's got a 46.2% fly ball rate and a 34.6% line drive rate compared to just a 19.2% ground ball rate. The only issue with where he's been getting his hits is that Simeon's been pulling basically two-thirds of the balls he's put in play. He's got a 64.4% pull percentage compared to just a 15 
8.4% center field percentage and a 19.2% opposite field percentage. So, considering that teams are probably going to start shifting him, they've already begun to, but they're probably going to heavily shift him moving forward to the left side of the infield and in the outfield as well. You're going to have the left fielder playing close to the line. You're going to have that center fielder playing in that gap between left and center. It, it seems like uh, this hot streak probably isn't going to last too, too long for Simeon unless he starts to go the other way, stay in the middle of the field, and get some more walks. Because I love this, this offensive outburst. It's great. It's great for a guy like Marcus Simeon, who, again, before May started, he was boomer bust. So it's great to see him being a better overall hitter. But again, for this to be sustainable, he can't just pull everything. He has to go the other way. He has to stay in the middle of the field. He can't have significantly more strikeouts than walks. But we'll see where this goes because... In 2019, right, Simeon was a guy who walked a ton. He didn't strike out much. He was getting a lot of contact and some pretty reliable power, too. He hit 33 home runs during that year. So, hopefully, that version of him is still in there. We're seeing shades of it, but we got to find a way for, for Simeon to become that type of player again and and even that in that season if we want to look at where he was hitting the ball he was still pulling a lot with a 44.1 percent rate but he was also staying in the middle of the field too posting a 31.5 percent center field rate so considering his current rate in that department it's just 26.3 percent he needs to be able to start hitting the balls up the middle a lot more because that'll keep the defense even forcing them to not shift him nearly as much and then he'll be able to sustain this type of production through the rest of the season but we'll see where this goes um now as for who the blue jays are going to be taking on this week they have a three-game trip in atlanta which for those of you who don't know because the southern states in America think this pandemic is over, the Atlanta Braves have no COVID restrictions on their stadium seating. So basically, if they want to sell out their stadium, they can do that. They're at a 100% capacity rate. They have no social distancing requirements built in so nobody has to wear masks you don't have to be distanced in your seating none of that's going on there so the the blue jays are going to be playing probably with 30,000 40,000 people in the stands throughout this series which for the players that's going to be great because you're going to be able to get that crowd noise not just fake crowd noise and like that dull dull silence um, so the atmosphere will probably be fantastic for the players. For us, the viewers, having to see that, um, it's probably going to be pretty frustrating for a lot of us out there. So just remember to brace yourselves. Keep that in mind that 
you're gonna see that so expect it um we also have a getaway day game during this series on the thursday so that's an afternoon afternoon game pretty early one too at 12 20 eastern time so make sure you don't miss that one and then after the blue jays play three games in atlanta they finally get to come home or at least Dunedin home and they got a three game set with the Philadelphia Phillies I also forgot to mention you're gonna get Ray Ryu and Stripling for those three games in Atlanta and then you'll get Steven Matz to open the series against the Phillies and then that Saturday is when that fifth spot in the rotation comes around again so that's Nate Pearson Anthony Kay so the Blue Jays have basically a week to decide what they're going to do with Pearson, whether or not they're going to give him another start. My gut tells me they will, and they'll give him this week to throw a bullpen session or two or a side session, whatever he wants to do, to keep him in line for that start. But he'll be able to talk and, and, and work out some things with Pete Walker, and hopefully we see some improvement from him. But it's not going to be an easy matchup for him on Saturday against the Phillies. They're a pretty good offensive team with Bryce Harper in the lineup. Didi Gregorius is doing okay. McCutch had another Sunday primetime uh, leadoff home run against the Atlanta Braves on Sunday. So you got to worry about him. You got to worry about JT Romuto, Reese Hot Hoskins. So they got a deep lineup. Won't be an easy one to get through if Pearson's on the mound then. And then on the 16th the Blue Jays will likely go back to Robbie Ray and then they got an interesting decision to make too because they have an off day next Monday so if they want they could probably go with a four-man rotation and skip Nate Pearson if they wanted to because with Robbie Ray likely going to pitch on May 16th, you get that off day, you'll go with Ryu on the 18th to open that three-game series against Boston. You go with Stripling the following day. Then you got Steven Matz on May 20th. And then with the first game against the Rays, you could go back to Robbie Ray because he would be pitching on four days rest. So... If the Blue Jays wanted to, they could maybe skip him or at least delay it because they can't fully skip him with not having an, another off day because you can't throw Ryu on the 22nd because that's only three days rest. So what they could do is they could delay and give him an extra day to throw another bullpen or continue, give him a little bit more time to work on his mechanics it's an option it's not a significant one but i could see them potentially going with robbie ray to start that four game series against the tampa bay rays in dunedin starting on the 21st but we'll see what happens really the blue jays decision making will be a lot easier if they see some improvement from Nate Pearson throughout this week and, and into his next start as well. But we'll see what happens. But that does it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed my 
breakdown of Nate Pearson and Randall Grichuk, Marcus Simeon, and, and hopefully you all tune in next time for a, another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, don't go out unless you have to, and get vaccinated when you're able to. Thanks for listening.